shows that make you laugh, shows that make you think, music that moves you. It can only be one place. Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. Animal Magnetism. Exploring animal care for creatures great and small. Conservation and preservation in today's world. Find out what a single voice can do to make a difference in the lives of animals. Animal Magnetism with Carolyn Hennessy starts right now on UVN Radio. And good morning once again, listeners. Actually, I should say good evening because we tape in the morning, but y'all hear it at night. Um, Tony, we have to change that intro because it's not a single voice. Absolutely not a single voice, as certainly is evidenced by the show today. Uh, welcome, listeners. I am your Animal Magnetism host, Carolyn Hennessy, joined once again by my producer extraordinaire, Andrea Compton. Say hello. Yes, yes, coming all the way to us from outside Seattle and the man that I consider the Alpha and the Omega, my animal mentor, all things animal, uh, Dr. Gray Stafford. Thank you, Gray, for being on the show. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, I'm going to be real honest with my listeners. We actually did have somebody else scheduled for today, the delightful Linda Churchwell, to discuss her book, and we will have her on again. But after the events of last Wednesday, um, this show, and to be, I'll, I'll be real honest, I'm actually a little nervous because this issue is so important not only to the denizens of Los Angeles and the Los Angeles Zoo, but what this could potentially mean for zoos everywhere, certainly in this country. And so uh, we will talk about the topic in just a moment. But first of all, I want to thank John Lewis, director of the Los Angeles Zoo, did not send an emissary, came himself, ought to be on this show to discuss the fate of Billy the Elephant. Thank you so much, sir, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we get to this all-important topic of the fate of Billy, Billy the Bull Elephant, who is so happy in his home at the Los Angeles Zoo, Andrea is just going to read a little bit about you, John. So take it away, Uh-oh. Andrea. <laughs> just a little just bit, a John Lewis. Um, you began your animal career as a zookeeper and have spent the last, I believe, 31 years in executive management of not one but two AZA-accredited facilities. That would be the John Ball Zoological Garden in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and our Los Angeles Zoo and Botanical Garden since 2003, where I believe you were hired straight in as our director. And during your career, you have also served on several AZA committees, including the Wildlife Conservation and Management Committee, the Accreditation Committee, and the Ethics Board. John, I actually, oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, John, aren't you glad to be out of Michigan? I mean, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There, there are days like today when the wind's blowing like crazy at my house. You know, right. People, but the, the, coldest day in Lo- the coldest day in Los Angeles is a summer day in Michigan. I, really. I know, but is, we don't have wildfires, mudslides, and earthquakes. That's true. So there you go. That's Heard very, that. very true. Uh, I spent some time in Michigan with friends and man. Oh, it's an icebox. All right. So, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Just to give a little history about what's going on with Billy and sort of kind of culminating uh, in last Wednesday's free-for-all in front of the city council. 
uh, the radical activists, having gotten a toehold with the advent of blackfish and and that particular movement, even though that deals that that deals with marine life, uh, with getting trainers out of the water, with uh, thwarting the Blue World Project, and even before, these activists are now inspired. They are now spurred on to what greater depths, as we should say, and have decided that Billy the Bull Elephant, someone's rustling, what's happening, what's going on? Billy the Bull Elephant, who has spent, I believe, 34 years roughly, let, let, let's say thereabouts, at the Los Angeles Zoo, having been brought from a Malaysian rainforest as a gift from the uh, crown prince of Malaysia or whomever, because he was orphaned in the Malaysian jungle, was brought to the Los Angeles Zoo at the age of four by a man named Mike D. and has spent the last 34 years of his life in comfort and quiet and peace, uh, lands to walk on, love, food, treats, enrichment, stimulation, you name it, Billy has had it. The activists have decided that Billy is not happy, that he sways his head back and forth, not in anticipation of keeper interaction, love, food, etc., but that he is psychologically traumatized and needs to be moved to a sanctuary. They tried this once before, and they were unsuccessful. But now having gotten celebrities like Lily Tomlin, ignorant and uneducated, a lovely comedian, Let's, we will not take anything away from her, but ignorant and, 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 and uneducated about this topic, and Cher, whose knowledge of animal husbandry would fit in this, in this bottle. Um, and they have gotten these celebrities on their side. And Councilman Paul Koretz has made a motion to once again remove Billy from the zoo. So... Do you want to talk about a little bit about that motion, what happened on Wednesday, and where we stand, John? Sure. Well, the, the, there's three parts to the motion. One is, as you said, is to uh, take Billy out of the zoo and put him in a sanctuary. Now, I'll just mention it's an unnamed sanctuary, so we don't know where he would go. Uh, the other part of it was to reform habitat at the zoo so that there are no barriers between, we have four yards in our in our zoo so that the animals can be moved around during the day, you know, so you can uh, isolate one area so that the staff can be there and clean it and be safe. Uh, but he wants to open all that up in his mind, it makes more space for the animals. And the third part was really to look at the oversight of the zoo and, and who's watching us other than the animal critics. So that's, that's essentially what his motion is about. Uh, he, wasn't there was, also? Uh, well, I'm sorry. Wasn't there also an aspect about breeding at the zoo? Uh, you're right. He wanted us. Part of uh, moving Billy out was so that we would not be breeding elephants at the zoo. Uh, in his own words, he said that we could bring in female uh, elephants, older female elephants that are in a worse condition than the Los Angeles Zoo. So somehow it'd be a step up to come there, even though he doesn't think it's ad adequate. But I will say this: Paul Koretz has no problem coming to the big annual fundraiser, the Beastly Ball, and I can say this, stuffing his face with food. Uh, he, seems to, he seems to enjoy the zoo then, but doesn't enjoy the zoo. And, and he can also kiss some celebrity tushy uh, at, at the Beastly Ball. He doesn't mind the zoo then, but 
at, at all at 364 days out of the year, he, he doesn't feel that the zoo is adequate. Um, what I find interesting is that we have been thus far unsuccessful in getting Billy a girlfriend because Billy goes in and out of musts, I think, quite regularly and needs to breed. And his specific gene pool is so important because it hasn't been diluted at this point. He's, I don't think he, Billy has ever bred. But every time the call goes out that there is an, a, a, female, a young female Asian elephant that is ready to come to this country, possibly to the Los Angeles Zoo, the radical activists have put the kibosh on that. Correct? Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty close. What, um, you're, you're right in that Billy has no offspring anywhere. And being you know from the wild, no offspring, he, it would be really important to get him into the North American gene pool. Uh, you know, a lot of our animal programs are aimed at sustainability. Uh, we don't have to take animals out of the wild. And to sustain a population, you've got to have a broad base of uh, uh, genes in that population so that they're not all related to each other. Uh, we have attempted, there are not a lot of breeding age females in North America. Uh, so we've been trying to get them here. Uh, and you have to get them at a certain age. So what, what we've learned over the years, and this is the thing that's getting missed, we've learned so much about elephants, not only in zoos, but what can be applied in the wild. But if a female hasn't had her first calf by about age 30, uh, then it becomes dangerous for her to get pregnant and have a calf in the future. So even though they could potentially get pregnant, you don't want to do that. But on the other hand, if they have their first calf at a younger age, excuse me, at a younger age, uh, they can continue to have calves safely well into uh, their menopause period. So uh, we're working with other zoos. Uh, the other idea was to be able to collect semen from Billy that could be used for artificial insemination, which would help uh, spread his gene pool, but also avoid having to move elephants across the country. Have we done that? Have we collected uh, semen from, from Billy at this point? We, we haven't gotten semen. We've been training him for the process. Uh, and then about two years ago, we stopped mainly, well, not mainly, but because of staffing uh, at the time, we didn't have the time to do it. It takes a lot of attention. It takes a lot of time. But, uh, you know, that's, that was one of the critics' complaints, too, that somehow this process was abusive. And I tried to share with the council the other day, when we do the process, he's in a chute with the front door open and he can leave when he wants and he's never left. So it's, <laughs> it's abusive. No. no, 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 no. And, and Gray will remember when I went down to the, um, was, it, was it Safari Park down, down yes. in Temecula? In Escondido, in, yes. In, in, in Escondido. And we saw... <laughs> I'd never seen anything like it in my life. A giant, fake replica of the hindquarters of a female elephant and yeah. for, for, for mounting purposes. And I just thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. Well, one of the best things I'd ever seen. <laughs> but it was... It I think was, you need to get out more, Carolyn. What I, oh, I don't believe... Oh, that's, that's just a given. That's yeah. that's absolutely a given. But I thought it was so inventive and so practical, so pragmatic, because it just looks like what I can imagine. It looks like, obviously. I mean, well, I don't know. If, I don't know if resin point. molds were taken. I had, I don't know who who volunteered as the model, but it was lovely. And, but, uh, and there was also some science behind that because some animal managers believe that one of the difficulties in collecting a semen sample from this species is it can be contaminated with urine. 
And if that happens, from what I understand, the sample can't be used. So there was some thought in that, that by collecting the, the semen when the animal's on all fours versus when he's upright, a mounting a female or a fake female, that that might improve the sample collection. So it's only through trial and error and through science at zoos uh, that we learn these kind of simple lessons in retrospect, but it, at the time, uh, they're unknown to us. John, how many years ago did, was, was this similar assault on the zoo and Billy mounted by the radical activists? Well, it's, it started just over 10 years ago. Um, I, I will tell you that since I've been here, I, I came to the LA Zoo in 2003. And at the time, you may recall, uh, they were preparing to build a new habitat and it was gonna be all Asians. And it, because of that, they sent the one remaining African cow, Ruby, that was here to Knoxville. And the critics were up in arms. And it was interesting because the argument then was, you shouldn't send our cow out of the out of the state. So they're actually arguing to get Ruby back to the Los Angeles Zoo. Um, Ruby didn't integrate with the herd in, in Knoxville, so she actually did come back. And uh, kind of to your point earlier, uh, because of the continuing uh, noise around her and the elephant program, we could not find a home for her in another AZA institution. Nobody wanted to get involved in that discussion. Uh, so at that point, uh, we did talk to the species survival plan she was declared surplus to the population. And at that point, we uh, placed her in the sanctuary at Paws up in San Andreas, California. I understand. I understand. Okay. So 10 years ago, another assault was mounted. Why was it not successful? Thank God. Why, why was that assault not successful? Well, for several reasons. Uh, we actually went through the exact same process that the council asked for the other day. Uh, there was a, uh, a large amount of uh, reports that were produced independently from the zoo. Uh, we brought in an outside veterinarian uh, from the Toronto Zoo to do an assessment of the animals that were here in the program. Uh, and then those reports were presented to uh, the council. And uh, I think we ended up winning with eight or nine votes out of the 15. You got to have eight votes to succeed. And probably one of the most important uh, votes that we got was from former Councilman Bill Rosendahl, who's, who's passed away now, but he was on the fence. Uh, he was very, I mean, he liked the zoo, uh, he liked the elephants, but he was concerned about their welfare. And I remember uh, during, the, during the hearing, he asked one of the zookeepers, if I vote today to keep the elephant exhibit, can you guarantee me that Billy won't die tomorrow? And the keeper very appropriately looked right at him and said, uh, no, sir, can you tell me you won't die tomorrow? And he just kind of got this little grin on his face and he voted for the zoo. And these are our city council members. It's astonishing. <laughs> it's no, it's astonishing. It's, 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 I'll tell you one of the things that I noticed on Wednesday. Um, we, the zoo, had so many members there wearing these wonderful green t-shirts that says, that said LA Zoo, a sanctuary too, because it is. And as I like to say on this show, zoos like the Los Angeles Zoo, which are truly state of the art. The Elephants of Asia exhibit is six acres and Billy's got the run of it, Jewel and Tina, and now I think the new elephant is Shanti, Ashanti? Shanzi, yes. Shanzi, Shanzi. 
uh, which was which which came to us from the Fresno Zoo, another Asian elephant, not of breeding age. So we've got now four elephants, where there are space for ten elephants to roam freely. And and just to digress a little bit, a recent study showed that if elephants are given care, food, water, love, etc., they they walk a quarter mile a day, or something something. The 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 Great Migration now, the fact that the the idea that elephants have to roam tens and hundreds of miles a day to find food. That has been debunked. Uh, and of course, naturally, of course, I lost my train of thought. So, uh, but one, one of the things, yes, yes, I, it's, it's back now. One of the things that I did notice um, was th that we, we, of course, filled up our, uh, one side of the, of the city council chamber and some of the other side. We filled up the right side, because we're on the right, and, and some of the left side, and the, the activists had about maybe 20 rows. But all of them whooped and cheered and hollered and just got to their feet when Cher and Lily Tomlin walked in. Cher and Lily Tomlin, who know nothing about animal husbandry, who, wear their, who, who, who act, act on feelings as opposed to facts, and science and what is in the best interest of the animals. And the thing that really sort of burned my toast was the three council members, Ryu, uh, O'Farrell, and Klein? Who, who was it? Who was the third? Price. Price. Rice. Yeah. Price. Could not wait to get their pictures taken with Lily Tomlin and Cher, and O'Farrell actually mentioned this incredible work that Lily Tomlin has done. So my, my fear is that these celebrity ass-kissing, <laughs> I can say it, it's my show, um, so, uh, uh, council members are already bought and paid for. How do we combat that? Well, we, we combat it with facts, and uh, that's what I said. They're welcome to their alternate opinions, but they're not welcome to their alternate facts. And so we'll have to produce those facts. Uh, I know that the facts are on our side. Uh, at the end of the day, it'll come down to somewhat of a, you know, a heart decision. But the facts are that our elephants are in good shape. Uh, the science keeps moving forward, as Dr. Stafford said. Uh, that's the thing that's missed in all this, what they tend to do in these arguments is, you know, find the worst case scenario. They'll go back 20, 30 years to find some terrible thing, whether it's at LA or some other place. And they act like that's what's going on all the time when in fact it's not at all. But the, we'll produce the facts. Uh, they'll find out uh, that these things, that what's going on at their zoo is good and should be supported and not denigrated. To me, it's, it's a shameless and really pathetic ploy to use data from even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago. Because that's like, to me, saying to a woman, well, you shouldn't see a gynecologist because of what they used to do 50 years ago, even 50 years ago. So don't, so, 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 because, because, and we also have pictures of Cher and Sonny riding an elephant, wearing fur vests, and they didn't seem to mind at the time that they were riding this elephant, which I can, and however many years ago that was, let's say 50 years ago, which was almost assuredly trained 
to take people on, on its back using an Angus. And so if the council or the people who make the decisions are going to give share, credit, for in the, in the intervening 50 years, learning about elephants, although albeit misguided, but le learning and somehow thinking that, thinking that she's educated, they have to give the zoo the same consideration that we have grown so much in 50 years. I mean, my God, the Elephants of Asia exhibit is, is state of the art. It's one of the best in the country. So do you feel confident that the, that the council is going to give the same consideration that they give Cher or Lily Tomlin, you know, that, that they're going to give us the same consideration? Well, I do, and I'll tell you why. In, in dealing with the council for uh, almost 15 years now, that's a very deliberative group. If you're looking for a decision, it's, it's sometimes painful, but you have to keep in mind that they don't just serve the zoo, they serve, you know, all of their constituents. And what they want to do is show that they've considered all the options at the end of the day when they make their decision. Uh, so I'll give them that. I, and that's exactly what we're going through now. We have invited all of the council uh, committee to come out and see the program, talk to the keepers. You know, I, I bring them out and when, once they get there, I just walk away because I don't want them to feel like, right. you know, anybody's being intimidated or coerced or whatever. Uh, and have done that walk away with a very different understanding of the program there and feel pretty comfortable with it. What's, aside from Billy being moved, what's at stake for my listeners? Because I think I know. What's at stake if, with, with regard to this decision, with regard to activism? Right. So one of the things that we're concerned about is, you know, the LA Zoo is a, an accredited member of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And every five years we go through a very extensive uh, uh, process of being inspected by other professionals. It's a three to four day uh, exercise where they look at everything from your business uh, approach and what's happening at the front gate to obviously the welfare and care of animals. And because of the interest and concern about elephants, there's a special part of that accreditation that focuses just on the elephant program. We just went through that two years ago and got uh, very positive comments. Uh, you know, being accredited helps us, you know, let the public know that this is an institution they should be proud of. Uh, it also gives us access to other institutions that are working in the association to maintain these sustainable populations. Accreditation says that in the management of animals, the animal professionals at the zoo should be the ones making decisions on acquisition and disposition. In other words, where we get our animals from or where one of our animals might leave and go to a different home. Um, if the governing body being the council uh, tells us to send Billy to a place that we're not comfortable with, uh, forces that action and certainly legally they could, but if they do that, that could be a basis for us to lose our accreditation in the association down on that is that some institutions around the country won't deal with institutions that aren't accredited. Uh, the staff at the zoo that is uh, part of the professional management programs in the AZA, uh, because they'll lose their professional status, will have to give up those positions. So we'll be a little bit isolated and uh, you know, obviously embarrassed. Uh, and it'll probably make it even harder, uh, even 
the committee says they don't want us to get rid of all of our elements, just Billy, but it's going to make it harder to try to convince other institutions to either loan or give us elephants for our program. And we would, of course, fight the decision. If the decision yes. does not go our way, we'll, we will, of course, fight. And yes, we will, of course, fight. Yes. Now, yes. And yes. which, which, we'll, which we'll, by, go ahead. No, go ahead. Which, by the way, will take dollars in legal fees away from food, trainers, keepers, everything else that keeps the zoo going. Well, it takes away dollars, but it also takes away, uh, you know, state of mind. I can't tell you how frustrating this is for the staff at the zoo. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the women and men that uh, get up every morning and go to the LA Zoo to provide excellent care for these animals. They don't go there to ignore them, abuse them, uh, not pay attention. I mean, that's just an absolutely ridiculous concept that somehow they don't know what they're doing and don't care about what they're doing. I've been doing this for over 43 years and I didn't get into the business to uh, appease myself or uh, like I said, uh, just go and ignore the animals. Uh, so many things have been learned over the last 50 years. It's just incredible, even in elephants. Uh, if, I, if I can digress for a second. Please. I mean, one of the things that, you know, critics say about us is, you know, the problem with the elephant's feet and, and their legs and their arthritis. And 40 years ago, they had, a, they had a, a, a case there, but what happened at the time? It used to be pretty standard for zoos to bring their elephants into their barn every night, uh, which were concrete floored, and they would tether those elephants so that they couldn't move too much. And the two reasons for that was you can sanitize concrete and the elephants might fight overnight when everybody's gone, so we'll tether them, you know. Well, that was absolutely wrong because it forced the elephants to stand in one place for extended periods of time, and zoos learned that. And I can, I can remember when the first zoos started not tethering their animals in the barn. Everybody thought they were crazy. They're going to fight and kill each other overnight, and lo and behold, they did not. <laughs> and then we learned, you know, that maybe it wasn't smart uh, that they do better, you know, out in their yards instead of standing in the barn all night. So all of that has evolved. And, and as long as institutions are learning and correcting and moving forward, I think that's appropriate uh, versus, you know, complaining about what we did 30 or 40 years ago. Which is asinine. Absolutely Ooh. asinine. Gray, thoughts? Well, it, it certainly fits a pattern, right? We've seen this over the last 10 years. It started with orcas. Well, it, it, it actually probably started with elephants and then it drifted to orcas, then it's back to elephants now, where um, we're, we're, we're judging the standards of care today uh, based on what we saw 30 or 40 years ago. And uh, it fits a pattern because this is a strategy that activist groups like HSUS and PETA and others have adopted because it's been effective, because it misleads people. And it goes to that challenge that you and I have talked about many times, Carolyn, over the last years about the needs of the individual versus the needs of the population. Nothing we've discussed so far this morning has talked about the incredible pressure that wild Asian elephants are under right now, particularly males. Uh, and so all this tempest in the teapot over one animal, Billy, as important as he is to the citizens of your area, does nothing to help preserve the species in the wild. And that's what's frustrating for, for people like me, and I'm sure for John and for you, is we aren't talking about how to solve the human elephant conflicts around the world, particularly in Southeast Asia, where these animals are butting up against human populations or human populations are butting up against their, their what's remained of their wild habitat. 
It's frustrating. It's unproductive. And it's it, it literally is a circus what's going on right now. Well, it's and it's also ultimately a death sentence. It's ultimately a death sentence. My concern one of my many concerns, one of my concerns about Billy. <laughs> Billy just happens to be in a city where there are a lot of celebrities that wear their hearts on their sleeves and, again, don't, don't know nothing, know absolutely nothing, and refuse to look at the facts. I also find that fascinating because they certainly can't ever admit that they're wrong. But should we, should we not prevail? <laughs> People think... That the pa that the activists are going to be mollified. Well, we 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 saved Billy. We sent him to a sanctuary that we do, we and we don't know where. And now he is alone and possibly frightened and traumatized. And they think, well, okay, now now they're going to leave the zoo alone. Wrong. That is wrong, because once they've if they once they succeed somewhere, for instance taking the trainers out of the water. No more water work at SeaWorld, which is the thing that brought in so many, t I mean, hundreds of thousands of people to see that human-animal bond. Then they, then they started going after habitats, etc., other animals, dolphins, you name it. And that's what's going to happen at the zoo. They're not going to be mollified, will they? No, they're not. <laughs> and... Uh... You know, they always go after the big charismatic animals, the ones they think will pull on the heartstrings. But, um, you know, that is the scary part about all this is, as Dr. Stafford said, that the ignoring of what's actually these animals, what these animals represent and what's going on in the wild. You know, as we know, it's something like 84% of the people in the U.S. now live in urban areas. They're totally disconnected from the wild wildlife. They don't understand what's going on. Uh, they don't know what's going on in Southeast Asia with, you know, there's more and more of us, so there's less and less room for elephants. And then on top of that, they're being, you know, uh, killed for their for the ivory the males are in the Asian elephants, and it's just tragic. Um, the LA Zoo works with Wild Earth Allies, and formerly known as Fauna and Flora International. It's the new U.S. version of that. Uh, we've been working with them close to 20 years, uh, actually working on human elephant conflicts in Cambodia teaching the local people how to live with elephants uh, without, you know, killing them or driving them away. Uh, and that's going to get tougher and tougher because <laughs> there's just less place for these elephants to go. And the groups, they, they don't pay attention to what's going on in the wild. They don't care because they're totally focused on, on the animals that are in our facilities. These people think short term. They don't, they absolutely don't, don't see the big picture. Um, Hang on, because I, I want to read something from that, that a friend of mine wrote. Just one second. I'm trying to find it. But it goes to... I'm so sorry. Give me one second. So this is an individual who is not well... Uh, he's, he's very socially active and very well educated on a lot of topics not with regard to the zoo. So I posted something on Facebook uh, with regard to share and the hypocrisy and riding the elephant and if people are going to give share the benefit of the doubt that she has now learned from her mistakes that they must give the zoo the same leeway. And this is what this friend of mine wrote. What's this thing 
about male and female elephants never intermingling and their migratory patterns destroyed in, restric in restrictive environs and their familial systems, strongest species on earth, I don't know what that sentence means, and their feet compacted by hardened clay in constructed enclosures and trauma and, and, and for a layman. This is a sticky wicket for the uninformed. He has chosen not to inform himself, which, and I, by the way, I will respond to that and inform him. But here's the thing. I drive in Burbank, right outside of Disney, on a bus stop. There is a poster of, about Billy that the activists have put up. Why aren't we combating that with bus stop posters of our own, with billboards of our own? Because, the t and again, if you look at the activists, where they spend their money is in social outreach. Because if you ask PETA, what have you done for animals over the last umpteen years, they can point to nothing. They can point to no program, no building, except for a kill, a, a kill room. They can point to nothing. They use their money for advertising, and that's what takes in, sucks in, the as yet uneducated populace. When, how can we combat this? Well, we combat it several ways, Carolyn. Um, we haven't put up posters this time, but we do have a, an active social media presence. Uh, the other way we combat it is just with the people that come to the zoo, 1.7, almost 1.8 million a year. And that's, that's the irony in this too. So while we're all concerned about it and we need to be, and we need to be paying attention to what leverage they're getting, and particularly at, at the elected officials in city council, et cetera, but um, the public that likes us and likes the zoos aren't paying attention. And we know that on a couple of levels. Um, the critics have come to the zoo uh, once a month to try to protest outside the zoo and people absolutely avoid them. They try to hand them information and they just give it right back to them. Uh, we talk to them when they come in and they like our program, they trust the zoo. And so, you know, again, it's kind of one of these silent majority things where we've got to figure out how to mobilize that public. And we certainly did in the um, uh, hearing this last week, overwhelmingly the letters to the council were from people that support the zoo and want the zoo to be making decisions about the animals. And we just need to keep make, doing a better job of sharing that with the, with the council, but also sharing it with the media and others that help us get our voice out there. Well, as I say, I will do any commercial, any ad for you uh, gratis you. at any time. That's just that. Please, please. Yeah. And if hey, I can Carol, be on the same screen with Slash, this is not a unique situation. Is what's what's fascinating about it is LA Zoo is a, a very prominent zoo. You're a very populated region. Obviously, media is no problem there. Um, but this is in a microcosm going on everywhere in every major city, any any municipality with a zoo, uh, whether it's AZA, ZAA, etc. These sort of things are going on. And what we're seeing is the, the activist groups, particularly the well-funded ones like HSUS, they've realized that they can't go head on and attack the Endangered Species Act, the Animal Welfare Act. They're not gonna get a lot of traction there to change those national federal laws. But they've been very successful working state by state. There's a, there's a bill pending in the state of New Jersey right now that has everyone concerned. I know AZA members, ZAA members, facilities in that state because what was once a, a narrowly focused bill uh, under the last session to, to limit or to prohibit traveling elephant 
shows has blossomed into something that will prevent accredited zoos, whatever association you want to talk about, it, it will prevent accredited zoos from taking outreach animals, bunnies, baby alligators, corn snakes, all these different species that were never intended in the first bill. It will prevent these accredited zoos from taking them to schools and outreach programs for seniors and for children, uh, many of them in, in uh, underserved areas where that can't get to their local zoo, but the zoo goes to them. So these are the kinds of bills that are being passed and, and, and lobbied heavily by groups like HSUS and PETA. And it's happening at the state and local level. And it's, it's a barrage and it's not going to stop. And to John's point about the challenge that this presents for us from a communication standpoint, the challenge is we're focused on taking care of animals and preserving the wild. We are, we are not well-trained in the areas of social media and branding and, and, and uh, countering these, these attacks from groups that that's all they do. And that's the real challenge. It has become a higher cost of doing business for zoos and aquariums to, to meet these, these marketing and PR messages that we're just being confronted with all the time. And that's the new reality we live in, I think. John, how can we combat that? Can we, I mean, interns from schools, or can we, can we allocate? It, when, when people donate to the zoo, I believe that they can earmark their donations for the bear project or for the elephants or for the pangolins or, 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 or whatever. Can people start earmarking their donations to the zoo for combative media, for lack of a better, uh, for lack of a better term? Because, here's, <laughs> because we've always taken the high road and said, well, you know, people will come to the zoo, they'll see what we're doing, they'll spread the word, and we will simply not lower ourselves to the level of insanity, foul language, uh, damnation that I saw personally last Wednesday from the opposition. Can people earmark funds for social media outreach? Well, they certainly can, and, um, you know, hopefully... <laughs> It wouldn't become the dominant. I think uh, we, we can always use more funds in that area. Uh, what we focus on, and just to kind of give you an idea, there, there are national surveys now that show that public attitudes about zoos right now are, and, and aquariums have kind of fallen out in three areas. You've got the people that are totally supporters, don't have any questions. You've got this small group, literally it's about 8% uh, that don't like zoos, and no matter what. And then there's this group in the middle that actually like zoos, but they have questions about certain animals and probably elephants would fall in that. But what we also know is, is that if we can reach those people, share information about what we're actually doing and help them understand, they move to that top area. So our approach is to try to find those people, talk to those people. We do it a lot with schools. We do it with the visitors that come to the zoo. Uh, we do it with our social media and our and our publications, uh, and and we can always do more of that because they're actually not that hard to move from the middle to the up, uh, but you got to get to them and give them the information. And and John, if I can just ask another question to that, sure. how do then we take that support that you just identified and wield it into something that your city council will recognize? Because it seems like that silent majority you referred to earlier. How do we mobilize them into action, whether it's an email, a letter, appearing at, a, at an open hearing? How do we do that? How do we make that connection so that, that that strong support that you do have is registered 
with the council. Yeah, and what we did this time was uh, through our membership program, uh, reach out via email. I mean, that's one of the things now that's a little bit easier, you know, right. not even 15 years ago, or maybe 20 years ago, we didn't have that capacity through something like email that was just instantaneous to reach out to those members. They're always strong supporters. Uh, and we did that this time. And, and that's what resulted in so many letters going to the council. And that's the other thing that maybe uh, the listeners need to understand the, the audience, Carolyn, that, well, the other thing that we deal with that, that um, Dr. Stafford was talking about is when we get into one of these debates, uh, the voices that the local government hears are usually from local people, but the voices they hear against us literally are worldwide. And the frustrating part is that most of those people don't know, they've never been to the institution they're complaining about. They really don't have firsthand experiences. They're just jumping on the wagon and uh, screaming with the rest of them. So. Because it makes them feel good. Because it makes them feel like they're doing something. Yeah, about that, that's a great point because we, we talked about the crisis facing wildlife. And I totally, uh, and I just recently kind of started talking about this. I think the current movement where so many people uh, and so much money is spent on our household pets is because people can make a difference that way directly versus the crisis that's affecting wildlife everywhere in the world. They, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to engage and make a difference, or even if they send their money, they're not quite sure how that's making a difference for wildlife. And I think that's another charge for the zoos and aquariums that we have to try to help people, A, find a way to engage and feel good about that engagement that they're making right. a difference for wildlife. Right. right. Well, and that's, you've hit the nail on the head there, John, because identifying the needs of the individual versus the needs of a population. That's a, that's a communication that I don't think zoos, even accredited zoos, I don't think we've gotten very good at that yet. No. How to right. talk about those competing needs between the needs of a Billy versus the needs of his population in, in Asia. So that's, that's a real challenge. And, I, and I, I think it's one we're all still wrestling with how to communicate about those two different. Well, I would like us to answer Roy Rogers, Oldenkamp, uh, my friend on, uh, Facebook, who said, what's this thing about male and female elephants never intermingling? And I will answer that by saying that putting Billy with Jewel, Tina, and Shanzi would be detrimental to, 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 to the females because Billy's in must regularly, and trying to mount them would be very, very dangerous for them. But the activists have seen to it that to, up, to, up to now, Billy has never been given a girlfriend. So we need to get Billy a girlfriend so he doesn't <laughs> run the risk of hurting the older cows, migratory patterns destroyed in restrictive environments. We've already answered that. If studies have shown, and I can, we can find the studies, of course we can, um, and, we'll, and, and I'll post them on my social media, that if elephants are given everything they need, they travel a quarter of a mile a day. They don't need the great migration route. Familial systems, I don't know, I, I, the sentence is, is unintelligible, so I can't. And their feet compacted by hardened clay in constructed enclosures. Again, 50 years ago, perhaps. Not today, and certainly not in the Elephants of Asia exhibit, where Billy is, his feet are, his feet are just fine. And he said, and trauma, and, and, and. And there is no and, and, and. There, there, are, there, are, there are no more questions. The, the rocking that I've seen Billy do, swaying his head side to side, is when he anticipates the delightful Miss Vicky, who is <laughs> keeper extraordinaire, 
coming to him with treats and love, etc. That is it. Because as I said to the council, I've seen elephants in Thailand, in Cambodia. The elephants in the performing camps, uh, chained with six-foot lengths of chain. And yes, they do rock back and forth because those elephants are traumatized. And if I, it's, it's a good thing I'm not queen of the world. <laughs> Otherwise, there would be the executions would continue around the clock. But so, uh, Roy Rogers Oldenkamp, I hope I've answered your questions. And you need to come to the zoo and you need to see Billy. Gray, last thoughts? Yes. Uh, John, I cannot imagine a zoo director position anywhere in the U.S. that has as many opportunities disguised as challenges as yours. <laughs> <laughs> so, my question for you is sometimes your friends, and fans can say and do things that you yourself can't do. Um, what are some of those things that maybe your fans and friends can, can say and do to help in this regard? Well, continue the good work and speak up about the work that we all do together. I mean, it's that old adage of, uh, you know, you just have to go 10 miles to be uh, a consultant or an expert and say the exact same thing that the local people are doing. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's something, I mean, they can always reach out and write the letters to our council members, uh, but just continuing to talk about the advancements that we're making uh, in, in our profession. Uh, as you and I know, we've been in it long enough. It's just incredible what's happening today versus maybe when we started. Um, you know, those are, those are the kind of things. And I, the other thing I would just say is we can't give up hope because animals are depending on it. Um, so, so much area is being lost every day for wildlife everywhere. And I think it helps to make the local connections. You know, one of the things that's been happening in LA, and I don't know if you've been hearing about our, you know, uh, mountain lion situation yeah. is they are becoming poster childs for what we've all been talking about for years. They're in these isolated pockets. They're, you know, the newspapers talking think about things like genetic death. I mean, that's stuff that we've been telling people about that is happening in the wild. And so right here, they have a perfect example uh, of what we've been talking about. So looking for all those local connections to help them understand what's happening worldwide uh, and just keep talking. I mean, people do listen once we find them and are able to engage. So I think that's what we have to do. The, the Los Angeles Zoo, one of one of the great, great arcs of preservation and conservation in the world, one, one of the great bastions against the demise of of. of all so many all species, John. Where can people find you and and the Los Angeles Zoo? What are what's what's what are some of the uh, the social media addresses? And will they also be able to find email addresses for the council members should they want to write in? Sure. So two things, real quick for the zoo. It's pretty easy. It's just lazoo.org, and if you go to that website, there's all kind of areas. And if you go lazoo/elephants. Uh, you can see all the information about the care that our animals receive. Uh, but on the website, you can get the social media sites. You can click onto the Facebook and the Instagram icons, you know, and see what's going on and participate. For the council, it's pretty easy. Go to lacity.org. That's the city's website. And there's a place there for the city council. And I'll give you the emails for each and every one of them, phone numbers too, if you want to call. Fantastic. Fantastic. We are out of time. John, I'm going to let you uh, head on up to Monterey for the zoo director's <laughs> meeting. Um, it was lovely seeing you last night for the memorial for Mike D., one of the great, great, one of the icons, one of the legends 
in in conservation and preservation with the curator for the zoo for so many years. Um, uh, and and it, as I say, I've never laughed so hard at such a sad occasion. The stories that were told about the great Mike D, who who took Billy the Elephant and shepherded him from Malaysia to Los Angeles so many years ago, uh, were just some of the greatest. And I intend to uh, plunder his library, you know, after a goodly period of time. Uh, that, yeah. that's, that's what I'd like to do. Um, we will let you go. Thank you a thousand times for being on the show. Very great to see you as well, and thank you for the work you guys do. Thank you, John. Great conversation today. Uh, amazing conversation. Um, I think we should submit this as the Emmy show. Uh, Tony. Yeah. Uh, uh, John, wonderful again. Thank you so much. And, we're, and we'd love to have you back anytime. Sure. Anytime, right. please. Uh, Gray Stafford, the Alpha and the Omega, thank you so much, my friend, for being on the show today. For your, great in, for your show, insight. great topic, Carolyn. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Andrea, uh, all, we love you. Could, could not do this show without you. The great, great Andrea Compton uh, oh, up, up in the outs, on the outskirts of Seattle. And uh, the handsomest man in radio, Tony Sweet, who uh, makes, who does everything technical that I just can't do. Listeners, please, you've been given so much incredible information today. Go on, go on to the uh, Los Angeles Zoo website. Check out the Elephant Program. Better yet, go to the zoo. It's worth it. If you can find me on my on my fan Facebook page and you say, Carolyn, I want a tour of the zoo, I will take you on a tour of the zoo. John, can I do that? Please say yes. 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 And uh, yes. And I will I will take you once we get enough people, I'll take you on a personal tour of the zoo. There's that. Um uh, and and go on, especially go on to the city council website. Write your council members. Write them all and tell them about the incredible work that they are doing with Billy the Elephant and in general at the zoo, because as I say, it's one of the last great arcs of preservation. As you move through your life, remember, in closing, thank you for listening to Animal Magnetism. Always attempt in everything you do to cultivate your own personal preservationist heart. That will see this world uh, does not explode. So there you go. We will see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Animal Magnetism. Bye-bye. <laughs>